Welcome to the Education, Career, and Beyond podcast. We've combined life experience with young adult drive and ambition. Are you just starting to college plan? Did you finish your education and wonder, now what? Join us in this lively discussion about the topics you need to know to create the next stage of your life's dreams, careers, finances, education, and more. Brought to you by Voice for Heroes 501c3. Welcome to the Education, Career, and Beyond podcast. And we've had just some incredible episodes over the past weeks, leaders and experts of all industries. And today for all of our young adults here, if you're in high school, you're already in college, boy, this one is for you. They all are, but this is really for you, especially when we start talking about money. Big anxiety when it comes to talking about our education is the costs. How am I going to do this? What if we don't have those family resources or are we going to get those student loans and grants and all of those things? Well, we have brought in the best expert in the country to discuss that with us today. We have Cooney Beasley and he has over 40 years experience of helping our young adults in this exact category, raising over 300 hundred million dollars in scholarships and grants. And we're going to hear how he's done that today and what his top advice is for our young adults. Cooney, thank you so much for the show. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Yes, we are excited to have you here. And Capri, as always, is with us and she is in between exams. So keep <laughs> in mind, this poor thing is taking exams and still here with us on the show. So Capri, thank you. Of course. Cooney, if you don't mind starting us off with your background, I mean, your bio is absolutely incredible. If you can share with our audience a little bit about your background and 40 plus years of doing this and what led you to us today. Okay, well, I got started uh, this uh, when I was in the Army. I was a test control officer and I was given a project to find a way for soldiers to get college credit and get college degrees. So I developed a program uh, and it's been adopted uh, many, many years ago by uh, what is today called Excelsior College. But back then it was called New York Regents. And more soldiers have gotten degrees through that college than any other single college, primarily through testing and uh, taking college courses and transferring things in. So I, I continued to study it and develop it uh, and then began to look at my own education and figured out ways how to accelerate my education. I did my MBA in 50 weeks um, and um, I did both my doctorate simultaneously. And I just figured out ways of doing things. And then when it came time, family wife, kids, by the time to send my kid to college, I said, I, no, I don't have a bunch of money sitting back. So mm -hmm. I figured out how to send uh, all of my kids to college. Uh, and I'll see a total of five people in my family through college for less than $50,000. Oh my gosh. That <laughs> sounds like a dream come true. Well, it's not, it's not, it's not, well, I, I went to college for 22 years, two doctoral degrees. I paid for one semester. Oh, my goodness. So where did you go? Can you tell us? Well, I went to Texas Christian University, was on full scholarship, did my master's degree at Oklahoma City University in 50 weeks. I always say Placido Domingo and Dinah Shore spoke at my commencement uh, oh. and then got uh, got my, my first doctorate is in Greek and Hebrew uh, from T Tyndale Seminary. My second doctorate is in urban and public administration from University of Texas in Arlington. I wrote my dissertation on the Federal Reserve System. Um, so. Uh, you know, I had 22 years of college. The odd thing is, is I don't really work in the field. Um, you know, you know, I have a, doc, a doctorate in Greek and Hebrew. No, no one's asked me to be their rabbi and urban <laughs> and public administration. No one's asked me to be their mayor. So so academically, I'm a failure. But I did manage to do all that and only pay for one semester. So that's my claim to fame. That's wow. Incredible. 
Okay, Wait. let's dive in. Capri, yeah. I know you're already loaded with the first questions. I just, I, I'm so interested by your various college experiences. So I've, a, I've got a ton of questions for you there. Okay. Can I start off with why, why do you have so many degrees in very different areas? Cause you just said yourself, like you don't use them every day. So what was the motivation behind that? Well, uh, I, I got my bachelor's degree in criminal justice. And I've never busted anybody or written a parking ticket. And if I was in my regular office, it'd be hanging on the wall. And that's what all it's done for the last 50 years or so. Uh, but um, what happened was, is uh, I was getting ready. I was in the military, I was in the army, mm -hmm. and I was getting ready to transition to civilian life. And uh, in order for me to, to gain an advantage of uh, getting a job, I decided I needed to get an MBA. And the fastest MBA program or the, the, the program that would allow me to go fastest was at Oklahoma City University, a small uh, Methodist school, Oklahoma City, of course. And um, so uh, uh, seven of us got together and we went through and doubled up and we did it in 50 weeks. We all graduated with honors. Um, and then I, I went into I, I sent my resumes out. And it was the ironic thing was, even though I had an MBA, uh, I had two corporate jobs. I was uh, at the Federal Reserve Bank. I was started as a training specialist. And, and after several years, I was all the way up through doing strategic planning and uh, wrote my dissertation on the Federal Reserve. And then I moved from there to Caltech Petroleum Corporation, international uh, energy company. And uh, the odd thing is, is I was not hired because of my MBA. I was hired for what I did in the Army, which was training development. And so, in fact, the, uh, the, the person that hired me at Caltech Petroleum was a retired colonel. And he says, I want you to put a training and operations shop here, and which is essentially what I did in the Army. And that's what I did. And so um, so I, I did a strange thing, too. I left corporate America to coach high school football. <laughs> that's crazy. I uh, won the state championship my first year. Yeah, so, awesome. there you go. Congratulations. <laughs> so anyway, but, you know, how to do this is, you know, most people go home and they watch TV for four hours in the evening. And I said, uh -huh. I, you know, I'm going to go take a class. So yeah. most of the time, I mean, all, all of, except for my undergraduate degree, I was always working full time or in the army and went to school at night. And that's just what I did instead of watching TV. I didn't keep up with any of the shows or anything. So that's just what I did. I, I used my uh, non-productive time a little bit more productively. And look wow. at the outcome. That's way to maximize your time. Yeah. You know. Let's talk about some of the, let's say, fears when you were first initially speak with a young adult, because planning for college is overwhelming, preparing all the apps, waiting for the acceptance. You have all these things that are taking place. And now we discuss that financial end. What are some of those really great fears or initial conversations that are the most common that you have when you start working with a young adult? The single most common uh, thing I have to deal with is I have to deprogram the parents and deprogram the kids. Mm -hmm. uh, the 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 best self-proclaimed expert on college is a second semester senior because they know everything. You ask them, they know everything. And, and you have to, you have to deprogram. You have to deprogram parents. Uh, uh, parents uh, operate on the chicken licking principle. Chicken licking said, cocky locky said, Lucy Goosey said, I heard that. Somebody <laughs> told me, I always thought that. And they're dealing with all of this uh, uh, misinformation about college and, you know, they would do things like, well, you know, I saw this lady and she got her daughter into Harvard and I talked to her and I know everything about how to get a daughter into Harvard. And I said, how long did you talk to her? And he said, oh, about five minutes. And I go, you got the whole thing in five minutes, man, we got to bottle that and sell it. OK, uh, there's there's, a, a, you know, it's it's a very easy process if you know what you're doing, but most people don't know what they're doing. And then when they find out what they're supposed to be doing, um, 
about 80% of them don't do the work. I mean, really, you can, you can do this. You can get through college and pay very little if you simply do the work. If, you, if you'll get your test scores up, you make good grades, and you target the right schools. Not all the schools give money away. So you want to target the schools that are give money away. Uh, you know, for example, some schools, what it would take for you to get into that school, if you went to another school, they'd give you a full scholarship for the same criteria. See, that's such an important piece right there. Do you notice that people get their heart set, but no, I want this one. I want this one. I yes, want this yes, one. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I had a, a young lady come up to me and she says, well, I want to go to an Ivy League. And I said, okay, name them. And she couldn't name us. And I go, how do you know you want to go to an Ivy League? Right. You know, uh, so most, I mean, most people, most high school counselors couldn't name the Ivy League colleges. You want to give it a go, Capri? I got, I know I got a couple. Okay, let's, let's try. Okay, this is the correct answers. This is the incorrect answers. Okay. Amy, you can join. Go ahead. So we got Harvard and Yale, Brown, Princeton, Dartmouth. Cornell? Yeah, I'm all done. Oh, Cornell, yeah, that's six. That's pretty good. That that means uh, there's eight of them. Eight of them. Now here you have an acronym. Here's the acronym I use. It's B C C D and happy and take out the A. B C C D. Brown, Cornell, Columbia, Dartmouth, Harvard, uh, Princeton, Penn, Yale. Penn. Oh, Penn. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Now, now, a lot of people would put Stanford in there or Duke or something like that, but you can't do that because see. You know, do you know what the Ivy League is? No. It, it is an athletic association. See, I did has not that, know that. It has, has nothing to do with academics. It is an athletic association. So if you put Stanford in there or Chicago in there, well, Stanford, Stanford wouldn't be able to go to the Rose Bowl because it's, you know, the Ivy League does not send people to post postseason uh, play. And so it's an athletic association has, you know, you don't, some, some, you know, colleges do not rise and get accepted into the Ivy league because they're great colleges. In fact, when you look at some of the lists of the top 10 colleges, most of them will only have four Ivy leagues in there. The rest of them mm -hmm. will have Stanford, MIT, uh, uh, Chicago, you know, Duke, you know, they'll always have these other colleges in there. And there's a couple in there that most people never hear about, heard about like Bowden and, you know, and which is in Maine. Uh, and most people don't know what the best colleges in the particular areas are. They, they're, they're going for the high profile colleges and um, they're going based on what we call curb appeal. And a lot of times they're willing to go into debt up to their eyeballs to get curb appeal. And uh, it, it's unfortunate because the, the, the myth is, is that if you go to an expensive high profile school and take loans out to go to the school, that somehow it's going to amortize itself in the future. There's not one study that proves that. In fact, the, the, the major study that's uh, been used to determine uh, if this is valid was the, the Kruger study that started in 1972. They took a group of people who were admitted to Harvard. Part of, some of them went and some of them didn't go. They tracked them for 40 years. After 40 years, no significant difference in success, no significant difference in income. In fact, I'm, I'm going to give you a trivia one here. What college do you think has produced the, the highest number of CEOs for the Fortune 500. What college would you think? Mm. I don't know. Texas A&M. Go... Oh. oh, I was going to say UCLA. Texas A&M, huh? Texas A&M is produced right now as the highest number of, of CEOs in the Fortune 500. Wow. 
Okay. Now, again, when you start looking at the facts, when you start looking at, at you know, what's real, a lot of the myths are, are going to get blown away, which again, I have to go in and deprogram people. Right. Do you um, see their heads just spin when you deprogram them on this? Do yes, you well, get that uh, aha moment from them right away? It's not so much an aha moment. It's like, you know, it's almost like telling them that they've been praying to the wrong God. Okay. <laughs> Some of them are hurt. <laughs> so, not- you know, they, because they've had this dream all this time and you find out that, the, you know, that the Wizard of Oz, that once you pull back the curtain, it's just, you know, just <laughs> not the Wizard of Oz. And, and some of the stuff that you're, you know, the, 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 all of the dream stuff is a dream. And it's, it's a, lot of, a lot of your assumptions are not valid. Uh, you know, because, I mean, for example, you know, a, a, a nursing degree. A nursing degree is a commodity. doesn't matter where you go to school. You all have to take the same nursing exam. You know, people have put a high uh, uh, value on the prestige of a medical school. I work with students going to medical school all the time. Uh, and I prepare them for the MCAT and tell them what to do to go to, go to medical school. But, you know, uh, well, I'll just ask you, Amy, do you have a family doctor? Uh, yes, I do. Okay. Uh, do you know where your family doctor went to college? Yes, I do. Did you choose them based on where they went to college? I did not. Okay. Now, the most important <laughs> profession that's gonna, that you're going to deal with, you, you, the, where they went to college was not that big of a deal. Okay. And, and 30% of the people who practice medicine in the United States got their degrees overseas. A few years ago, the top college that for the first time, uh, for the first time passed to the medical board in the United States, the top college was St. George's in Grenada. And so wow. when you start getting down to the facts, to what's real, you, you, you know, you're blowing people away. You're just, you just sit there and say, listen, this is the truth. You know, you know, for example, where I, where, you know, I, I live in Texas and um, one of the comparisons I make with my Texas students, well, let me, it's probably easier to, to do it on a national level, but what would, uh, what would get you in to let's say Duke or Northwestern would get you a full scholarship at Alabama. You know, $112,000 at Alabama. And then you're coming out with that degree and starting the career you wanted anyways. Yes. Yes. And you're not having, I mean, you're, you're not, you're not lugging this, this debt with you because when you go to your first job, cause I, I tell students, you got to think one standard deviation out. What are you going to do when you have, what are you going to put on that resume for that first job? Okay. Now, when you, when you uh, are in there and say, I received a full scholarship to blah, 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 or I received over a million dollars in scholarship offers, which uh, I've had probably 15 kids do that, get over a million dollars in scholarship offers. Okay. Now, you know, you put that on your resume. Now what's going to happen is you're, you're, when you get your first job, they're going to do a background investigation. They're going to do a drug test. They're going to do a credit check. Okay. Now you're carrying $150,000 of debt. They're going to know that. And so they're going to know that you're going to be a job hopper. You're going to be spending the next 20 years of your life. Yet. Whereas the person who got the full scholarship, I mean, they've already demonstrated character, responsibility, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And they're probably going to be the one that's going to get the job. So you got to think one standard deviation out. So it may be better to go to a less high profile school and have no debt than to go to a high profile school and spend you know, the first 20 years of your professional life paying off the debt. I mean, you're going to have doctors right now are going to be 63 before they pay off their debt. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. Most most people taking debt this year at an expensive school, taking on forty dollars or $50,000 of debt for one year are never going to be able to pay it off. Their life insurance will pay off their debt. That's why they're all promoting that, you know, that, that President Biden forgive their debt. Wow. It's, it's just tragic. I'm so grateful that you're having so The thing is, is that you, you got to upfront this and say, okay, uh, you got to make good grades. 
you, and, but not, you don't have to be straight A's. Okay. A 3.5 will get you a, a, a full scholarship at a lot of places. Okay. You got to get your good test scores. Now this whole, this whole uh, test optional, <laughs> it's a profit center. All right. Let me, let me tell you that. Okay. Now, a lot of these schools say they're test optional. The statistics, there's a, there's a thing called the, um, uh, uh, standard uh, data set. Okay. The standard, there's data that the colleges send in every year. All right. In the last, last four years, uh, if you had a test score that was within the center 50% band and higher, if you had a test score, you are half again as likely to be admitted than somebody without a test score. Half again as likely. Okay. Now, you know, and then when you go to this test optional thing, people, uh, they'll apply to the high profile schools. And, and one of them was, the kid that was Princeton. Princeton had this huge influx of wing and prayer admissions. Not each one of those kids are paying for an application fee. And it became a profit center. They made millions of dollars additional that year because wow. of just, just a month. And you think they're going to stop that? No, they're going to continue the test optional, you know, because number of applicants that, that drives the applicant pool up, but they're only going to take the same number of students. So it drives that, that admission percentage down. And it's done artificially but they're going to get their admission percentage down and they're going to make a couple extra million dollars from it. So it's a profit center. Wow. Wow. Am I making any sense here? Completely. Yeah. Capri. We're making it all in. Yeah. You know, so, you know, and th th there's things like a lot of this, a lot of the highly competitive universities, a lot of people don't realize you can do what's called a dog leg. Okay. Most of your highly competitive universities, they're going to lose 30 to 35% of their freshman class. That's just that's going to be typical attrition to a highly competitive school. Okay, now they got to keep fill of seats. Okay, the, 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 uh, an empty seat in the classroom is a perishable commodity, and so they have very liberal transfer policies. In fact, you've got several schools that have what's called a guaranteed transfer. You're not going to get in with the first group of kids. We're going to take their money first, and then the second. Now they're going to leave after they left their money there, and so we're going to guarantee you a seat your sophomore year. And they'll dogleg you in. You know? So there's a lot of colleges that have this dogleg principle where if you go to another college or one of the colleges in their system or a sister college and do that a year, they'll let you transfer in with a 2.5. Wow. You know? so, and so if you have people that want to go to these, these uh, uh, high-profile colleges and are having trouble getting in, a lot of them have the dogleg that you can go in as a transfer student. Mm -hmm. So they're just you know, other strategies of doing that. Okay, you guys are kind of like stunned. <laughs> I know, definitely. I really am. <laughs> yes, I mean, Capri, you just went through this whole process a, a year ago, and and I'm sure you've talked to some of your friends and cohorts there at the school. How does this resonate with you as far as these conversations and, and what you would advise now to those coming up? Well, it's just so weird to see it from the other side when you really see how like much work you put into the application process, and it's it's very interesting to continue knowing more and just being part of this podcast. I feel like I'm always learning more and more mm -hmm. about it and almost the things that I could have done differently had, or if I have the opportunity to do this again, and also thinking ahead to applying to med school and professional school, how will I do take what I've learned and yes. apply it? So it will be different. And that also kind of brings me to my next question for you, uh, Dr. Cooney. Um, if you like, could you talk about applying to different types of schools? Because you said you went to seminary, you went to undergrad, you got master's and another PhD. 
Um, could you touch on that a little bit for us? Well, be a little bit specific on how to get the material. Um, just for. maybe some of the differences in the application processes that you've been through, if there are any. Well, uh, I'm working with a family right now um, who um, I, I, I started with this family nine years ago. So I've picked up, there's three kids, got them through uh, undergrad, and now I'm working on the second kid uh, for, with grad school. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that uh, I advised them long ago, because the, they were into wanting to get their kid with a high esteem degree, an Ivy League degree. And I said, it's going to be easier if you go to a good college, get a big scholarship, and then get your master's degree in Ivy League. I mean, and, and if you want the high profile college, it's going to be easier to get your master's degree than, than it is to go in as a, in a bachelor's program. Uh, for example, getting into an Ivy League uh uh, I've not, I've not failed to get somebody into an Ivy league, into a graduate program who had the credentials to do it. Wow. Um, and medical That's school, cool. I've only had, uh, say in medical school, uh, I've had, uh, only four people not make it to medical school in the last 15 years that I've been doing medical school advising and, uh, three of them because they didn't listen to me on the application. And one of them, because from the day that she took the MCAT, I told her go down the night before, get a hotel room, don't try to drive it. And she tried to drive it and fell asleep. Oh, and no. A seven hour test. Okay. Oh. You're going to, you know, and so. Need to be fresh. Uh, yeah. But right now the, the things have changed with the MCAT. The MCAT, you can take it more than once. Back in those days, if you took it more than once, you, you were, you, you're going to go to the lower tier schools. But now they're a little bit more uh, open about taking it a second time. But, uh, you know, there's just things that you have to get. For example, if you're going to, I mean, are, Capri, are you considering medical school? Yes. Okay. So one of the things you got to do is you got to build that resume. One of the things I tell students to do for medical school is uh, you want to get into a para, para medical profession, i.e. you want to become an EMT. You want to go be a pharmacist, pharmacy tech or something like that. But you, uh, but if you become an EMT and even if you do it voluntarily, if you can get on a truck someplace and something for happen, you know, let's say you're in a situation where you get to resuscitate somebody. Okay. Now, your grades, your application, your essays, uh, your MCAT scores, they don't get you in to medical school. They get you the interview. Mm. And it's the interview they decide what they want. And, and it's very much like the NBA draft. You're going to interview several schools. Schools are going to say which one's at the top of your list. Uh, and some of the schools may say, if you put us at the top of your list, we'll take you in the next round. So it's very much like the NBA draft. Anyway, you're in, you're in the, 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 uh, you're in the interview. And so uh, one of the things you can bring up if you're an EMT is saying, you know, I resuscitated seven people. There's seven people walking around today because I was there and I did what I needed to do. As opposed to somebody who comes in and says, well, what did you do in college? Well, I was in Glee Club. OK, so the, the key thing is you've got to build your build your resume, but it's got to be an active resume where you're doing something active in the medical profession. It's giving you exposure. You know, there is a certain limit to shadowing somebody and things like that. But if you can get hands-on, even, even being a pharmaceutical tech or being a CNA or something like getting hands-on so you can relate your experiences in your essay, relate your experiences in your interview. Does that make sense? Yes. No, that's huge. Incredible advice. Incredible. Uh, same process for um, for going into any grad school yeah, and, well, and subject. Are you saying that really immerse yourself into something that gives you that credibility? Well, it, it, okay. Grad school is not as, you know, regular grad school, if you're getting your master's degree, it's not as important unless you're going into a specialized field. 
generally, uh, you can get into most grad schools if uh, you have a decent GPA and you do well on the graduate record exam or the GMAT in your test scores. That'll pretty much get you in. Uh, if you're going to law school, of course, it's the LSAT. But at the same time, well, I'm going to put this over. In, in law, your LSAT is going to carry a lot more weight than your MCAT is. Okay. Uh, uh, one of my daughters, uh, she went to the University of Texas Arlington. She was the top LSAT scorer. And I did the numbers on her LSAT. You know, For that year, 45,000 people took the LSAT. 210 scored higher than her. But she wow. did one complete total year of whatever she did school, she ate, she slept, she did LSAT. Wow. It's that kind of dedication. Yeah. You, you know, and, that's, and that's what you simply have to do the work, the right work, the right way at the right time. It's just doing the work. And so a lot of people realize, you know, they try to skate through or they wait to the, I mean, like, like, like right now, I've got several seniors, several of them are, are uh, uh, on trajectory to go to service academies, Naval Academy, West Point, places like that. And I'm, they were bumping up against deadlines. And I'm going, you know what? I told you, I told you three months ago, and they're bumping up against deadlines. And what's, what's telling me is because they're bumping up against deadlines and they had three months to do something, and they're now trying to do three months of work in three weeks, I'm, I'm telling them, I'm, I'm having conversations with their parents. They don't have the character to go to West Point right. because you, this, is not what, this, this is not what you do at West Point. If you try to do this at West Point, you're going to last a week. Mm -hmm. okay? And you don't want people commanding troops who are doing this. So, you know, we told them three months ago to do this, and now they're coming up against, you know, can we, we got, it's due Friday. Can you help us, Dr. Beasley? I go, no. <laughs> what am I going to do? Okay. It's too late. I mean, you have, you know, you have to understand opportunities that, 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 that present themselves. The opportunities are like catching airplanes. You, you know, a lot of people say, well, I'll, I'll get the next one. I'll catch the next airplane. No, because everything that's on that first airplane, every opportunity that's on that first airplane, if you're not on an airplane, those opportunities are gone. Like, for example, coming up right now is the PSAT. Now, a lot of people don't put a lot of importance on that, but it's also used for the National Mer National Merit Scholarship qualifying test. That's how you get the National Merit Scholarship. There's another thing that people don't realize is that that also is the qualifying test for recognition, African-American recognition, Hispanic recognition, small town and rural uh, uh, recognition, indigenous recognition. I got one girl who got Hispanic recognition and rural recognition. Now, 25 wow. colleges have offered her scholarships because she got that recognition. Wow, that's a powerful point. And I'm emphasizing these people, you've got to focus on this test because, you know, yeah, you're taking it as a junior, but if you're Hispanic, one quarter Hispanic, uh, uh, I mean, there's 25 colleges that will give you a scholarship just because you got this recognition. And I'm trying to push them to say, you know, if you, in this way you have a scholarship in your back pocket, you know? So, there, I mean, there's lots of strategies and things that people have to take, but they, they have to know. And most of them, most people don't know what's, what, how important the PSAT is. They right. just take it because they're told at school to take it. People at school don't know how to properly emphasize it. Yeah, these discussions aren't taking place like this, which is no. why we love doing the show because we bring in incredible experts like yourself mm -hmm. that here, this is so important. Now you're hearing the truth and the facts. Again, no. Are you still taking on new clients and new families? Because we've definitely got your site and we have the link to it. Wherever you're enjoying this podcast, the link to his site and his resources right there. Are you taking on um, new families? Yes, we, we uh, have uh, different levels of programs just depending on uh, what your objectives are. Uh, we generally do what's called group coaching and where we have, we cohort a bunch of students who have common uh, uh, trajectories and we work with them as a group. 
Uh, if you're in a special category and you need, you know, if you're if you're looking to go to an Ivy League or a service academy and you need special hands-on, uh, uh, you know, we, we have programs for those kind of people if they want to do that. But by and large, uh, with our group coaching, we can pretty much show you if, you know, how to pay attention, follow instructions, do the work, uh, get your admissions, get your scholarships. And we have a template that we use for essays so that you write the essay. A lot, you know, <laughs> I get a kick out of uh, English four teachers are saying, well, we're going to write your, your college essay. And um, most English four teachers have no idea what a college essay should look like. I mean, so, that, so they have the kids write an expository essay. Well, that's not going to make it in, <laughs> in the admissions office, see, because your college essay is a sales letter. It's not, it's not an expository essay where you, where you hit the first prompt item in the second paragraph. You're, the reader's not going to make it that far. If you don't pull them in on the, you know, we, we teach them to use a punchline. You got to use a punchline to pull the reader in. I mean, and so we have punchlines such as my first, my, my, my first recollection is being kidnapped and taken to Canada. You know, <laughs> at the age of 12, I became a single parent. Okay. You know, these things grab people and we've had people based on their essays got, they were offered scholarships because the essay told a compelling story. And uh, so there's, there's, uh, you know, that's why you've got to construct your essay like a sales letter, not an expository essay to get an English class because what'll make an A in English class won't get a second look in the admissions office. Wow. Capri, you experienced that, didn't you? Yeah. I mean, I wrote my, I go to a school that's typically an engineering school. Is that my major? No, but I wrote my common app essays about gardening and flowers. I think it worked pretty well. I thought it was interesting. Also, I did spend a lot of time on it, so I was pretty proud of it. But I, I really do think it's not, it's not like what you've done and who you are. It's how can you sell that to another person and mm -hmm. make them believe that you are the best version of yourself. Yeah, because you know you 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 know when you're looking at admissions, you're looking at four elements of admission. Okay, number one is going to be your metrics. You got to have the numbers. They're not you know good colleges are not taking 2.0 students, so you got to have the numbers, the grades, the test scores, class rank, or whatever. Okay. Uh, number two, you've got to have the optics. How do you look? How do you look to the college? Are you bringing an asset to the college? Are you an asset on the campus? Are you a leader? Are you bringing something creative? Are you a jock? Okay. <laughs> Are you going to bring a national championship or a trophy or something? Okay. So they're looking at optics. What does it look like? And next one is symmetry. How do you fit in? Okay. How do you fit into the, the you know, this particular type of college? I mean, for example, the symmetry for West Point is a lot different than symmetry for Savannah School of Art. Okay. So you're looking that, 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 you know, how would I be in the profile of a normal person that goes there? And then finally, you have legacy. And this has kind of been hit bad lately uh, because legacy, you know, prior to the Supreme Court case, legacy was always very helpful, particularly in the Ivy League colleges where 40 to 60 percent of the incoming students were legacy students. Either mommy or daddy went there or grandpa and grandma went there. That that builds legacy. Now, there's a reason why the Ivy Leagues use legacy because their legacy students are what's pumping the money uh, uh, in, in, uh, into that school, okay? Their money is paying for the other kids to go to the school. The people don't understand that there was a reason for the legacy, but you know, the Supreme Court made its ruling. There's still gonna be a measure of legacy because there's two types of legacy. There's legacy of, you know, uh, legacy of the kid coming in, did mommy or daddy go there or did your, was your father president of the United States or something like that, that always helps, you know? Uh, there's another legacy, which is what kind of alumni are you going to be? Because, you know, for example, West Point, West Point's not looking for good cadets. They're looking for people who are going to be good alumni, going to be good army officers. OK, 
Now, Harvard is good at, at, at developing good alumni, even though they own, somebody only went there one year, okay? Bill Gates, okay? He became a very good Harvard alumni. He didn't have to go back there to get his degree. They gave him one, okay? So you, you got to understand how uh, they, they build, you know, what's called the forward legacy. So if you show promise as forward legacy, are you going to be a potential Supreme Court justice or a senator or something like that? Or do you, are you going to be the next Mark Zuckerberg? Okay, that's what they're looking for. Okay, mm -hmm. so there's just understanding what these colleges are looking for, and the the more competitive. Oops, we lost him there for a second. And well, most of your been... uh, most of your regular colleges, there's nothing wrong with going to a regular college. There's nothing wrong with going to University of Alabama on full scholarship in the honors program and play the marimbas. You know, powerful. Dr. Cooney, this you have just brought such incredible value to our audience. Like, I'm I'm just speechless at what eye-opening awareness this is for all of our young adults to look at this through a different set of lenses. It's fantastic. Is there any last words of advice or just just kind of a, an important statement that you can share with our audience that you've learned from all of this? Any last words of wisdom? Okay, start early. Okay, make good grades, get good test scores. Be careful who you get your advice from because there's a lot of very well-meaning, sincere people who are giving sincerely wrong advice. Excellent. Wow. Capri. All right, I need to take it home. I was just gonna ask that exact question. Amy, you stole the words from my mouth. Wow. <laughs> This has been an absolutely great episode. We covered so much about the application process and scholarships. Um, we'd mm -hmm. love to have you again some other time to even go further into how to get those scholarships. But mm -hmm. it's been a great episode with Dr. Cooney Beasley, the man who went through 22 semesters of college and only paid for one. Thank you so much. And to all our listeners, if you like this, um, subscribe, follow us, and we'll see you next week.